Hello, and welcome to a free preview of Greatest of All Talk. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Greatest of All Talk. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Great to be back with you. Great to be back with the GOATs. I got to say, though, experiencing some real culture shock after the joy and the anticipation and the jubilation of Monday night in Houston when Michigan clinches that national championship. Just slightly different vibes watching the Lakers completely lay down against the Suns in L.A. on Thursday. You know, it had been a couple weeks since I'd been in the building just because I was trying to play it safe. I didn't want to get sick. I wanted to make sure I was there for the the coronation moments for the Wolverines, right? So I think the last game I had seen the Lakers play in person maybe was on Christmas, if I'm not mistaken. And, and during mm. that time period... They pretty much done nothing but lose, lose, lose in an increasingly like, uh, you know, disturbing and frustrating fashion. Obviously, we're getting all that smoke around Darvin Ham and, uh, you know, it was a tough game for the Lakers on Thursday. LeBron has a little ankle injury. There is no effort whatsoever defensively. The Suns really came out and played with a purpose. Katie was getting after LeBron on the defensive end. I absolutely love to see that. And so here you just had this very sad scene where, after the the big blowout, um, the Bucks over the Celtics earlier in the night on TNT, you kind of had the same you know script playing out in right. Los Angeles, and a lot of celebrities looking around like, "What am I doing here? Do I just leave early? <laughs> What's happening? Like this isn't what I came to to see." And uh, you know, obviously, it was a, a nice moment for Phoenix, but just put it frankly, I feel like it was the lowest moment for the Lakers since the Westbrook trade, which is a pretty long time, you know, almost a year, just in terms of the vibes and the frustration. I saw some guys laughing on the bench at the end of the blowout. You don't really see that a lot from the Lake show. And that was a little bit uh, concerning to me as well. So we'll see how they shake things up at the deadline. It does feel like this is an organization that's kind of in countdown mode to the, you know, just waiting to see who's going to stay, who's going to go, and then maybe try to make a push after the deadline but dark times for the lakers and you know obviously some bright times for the suns as well so you're saying in arena a bit of a step down from the atmosphere at the rose bowl 10 days ago that's that's your takeaway yeah man you know coach saban left us and now we're left with darvin ham and all of his (laughs) many many critics no it was a tough scene like i i didn't really hear a lot of booing maybe just some scattered boos here and there but the frustration has set in. There's no question because this wasn't the first one, right? Like they had that stinker against the Heat not mm-hmm. too long ago. They've had a number of these kind of demoralizing losses where you feel like they should be winning. The starting lineup group hasn't quite been right. They've been getting themselves in some big holes almost every single game. So there's some of that deja vu frustration around this group. And, uh, you know, it, there's a theme. You know, we, we've seen some similar ups and downs from the Suns. Obviously, the, the Warriors are in a very similar rut right now where they are getting booed off their home court after some of these losses. And so I think it's some of these veteran teams right now have kind of hit that stretch of the season. You know, they always say it's a marathon, Andrew. Well, this is like mile 17 and people are looking for the Gatorade. Like, please <laughs> get us something to drink. We need to stretch. We're cramping up. We're not really enjoying it. We're thinking about quitting. Maybe we're just going to go home. And uh, that's where the Lakers are right now. 
Well, I've had enough Lakers conversations to last me a lifetime because you're in L.A. We talk about the the biggest story in the league, nominally, I guess. Uh, I'm more interested in what the Suns looked like in that game on Thursday night. You've now seen approximately eight Suns-Lakers games this season. I think this was the first time you've seen Beal, Booker, and KD healthy together and playing in the same game. Do you have any takeaways for me after watching those three up close? Well, like you said, I've seen them play the Lakers a bunch. I also saw them play a couple games in Phoenix earlier this season. There is no doubt that's the best game I've seen the Suns play in person this year. All three of their stars really had good games simultaneously. And so if we were trying to say... What does the ceiling version of the Suns look like? What was Matt Ishbia's idea of how this could actually work? I think this was the closest to like a blueprint victory that you could get from those guys. First of all, Katie didn't have to have the major offensive burden because the other two guards were scoring so well. So he could just kind of get in where he fits in. And he committed a ton of defensive energy, um, you know, at times picking up LeBron full court, uh, you know, trying to send a message. I think you know, there was a, a story in Fox Sports this week, essentially Katie pushing back on all this talk about how frustrated he is. What was the root of his frustration? It's not that he doesn't want to be there. It's just that he doesn't like some of these individual losses. And all of that just sounded kind of like vintage Katie. It didn't seem to the point like where he was, you know, getting ready to check out. I thought people ran with that a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he knew they were going to be on national TV. So he's like, all right, I'm sick of losing to these Lakers because the Suns had lost the three previous games. And he came out and just put it on LeBron. LeBron only had 10 points and didn't even come back in the fourth quarter. I think some of that was the ankle and some of it was just that, you know, it was Phoenix's night and KD was a big part of that. Booker uh, really was dissecting the Lakers' defense early. They were super slow to adjust, whether it's trapping or or trying to get him off of his uh, best spots. He's shooting the ball very well, very smooth. You know, just looking like uh, you know peak Booker as well. But the real story of the game was Beal. Like you said, he hasn't been out there a ton this season. Um, The big question was okay. Does he bring the playmaking or the ball handling that uh, Phoenix seems like they need when he's not out there? Is he going to be overlapping with some of these other guys? Uh, but on this particular night, he was red hot. He was doing a great job of moving without the basketball to get into space, and they were fighting him uh, for some really easy looks. He looked free and easy on the ball, no signs of a back issue as he's breaking people down off the dribble, and mm-hmm. then he was red hot from three. So if you're talking about the best game I've ever seen Beal play, that's the one. Now, granted, that is kind of danging with faint praise because this guy's never on the court. I never get to see a play. I don't think I've seen him play a good game ever in his career. I, I'm not even like exaggerating <laughs> until Thursday night, but um, he looked awesome. And I, you know, I would say like a, a plus version of Beal. And, you know, they just had no answer for those two guards because they didn't have enough perimeter defenders to hold them down. So uh, much closer to what Phoenix wants to look like, which is, offensive juggernaut with veteran savvy on the defensive end. Hey, we can get by with this average defense, but we can have an offense that looks really, really good. The ball was popping, even saw some nice passes from Grayson Allen, uh, you know, finding some shooters. They were just in a really good spot. Now, after the game, though, Mm. there was a scene that you could either call beautiful or you could kind of call it bittersweet. And I heard from a lot of your fellow Wizards fans that were in that latter category, that bittersweet category. So I, I happened to see Beal do his little post-game interview with uh, Chris B. Haynes, and I saw it down on the baseline. Look, there's John Wall, he, and he stayed the whole game. It's a terrible game. Like I said, celebrities were leaving, but John Wall waited it out to the final buzzer. 
Much respect for John Wall, who I do think is trying to do whatever he can to get back in the NBA, probably. But uh, Beal came over and had a nice handshake with John Wall, and you had this great moment of the former Wizards teammates, uh, you know, you know we, uh, Wall celebrating Beal's accomplishment, which was nice. And then to just top it all off, KD, the DMV native, the guy that I'm sure you wrote some columns for Grantland about 15 mm. years ago saying, come home, KD, be the savior <laughs> that DC basketball needs. And you had this like picture for a moment. We could have had John it all, Wall. Kevin. Absolutely. Yes. You had this hypothetical big three of John Wall and Bradley Beal and KD all chopping it up there on the baseline. And the number of Wizards fans just crying in the quote tweets was unbelievable. Never seen such an outpouring of emotion uh, from that fan base. So I guess right now you're dealing with Jordan Poole, Kuzma, and Denny, maybe not quite on the same level as a Brad, John, and KD, but at least you got to see for one night those guys showing each other some love. Yeah, the big three that might have been. Um, you know, you talk about my life as a Wizards fan. I will say that the Wizards as a franchise have more in common with small market NBA teams than big market NBA teams. They're not generally grouped in with the small market teams. And I, despite all that, do not have small market energy. So I'm not going to sit here and lecture you about missing all the great (laughs) Bradley Beal games over the years. Because the truth is... You weren't missing that much if you weren't watching the Wizards for the last 10 years or so. No, 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 no. No, I'm just saying with him playing on an Eastern Conference team for most of his career, and let's be honest, not playing for a lot of games, like there's only been so many situations I've even been able to watch him in person. That sounds kind of crazy because he's had like this 10 or 12 year career, but in terms of like in-person viewing experience... Like it's great because he's never in the playoffs, right? And I do a lot of Eastern Conference games during the playoffs. So, you know, we just don't overlap very much. And that was the first time I'd seen a really a vintage performance from him. I've seen him probably score 20 a couple times, but, um, you know, out of, you know, the thing about it, probably 40 games his teams have played in the markets I've been when I've been there. I want to say maybe he's played 10 or 15 times, you know, yeah. like if that, especially recently. Uh, yeah. And recently, even when he's played, it's like, how much do you make of a game where the Wizards are down 20 and Bradley Beal's just out there gunning for stats the entire time? So I hear you. And I loved seeing him look healthy in that Lakers game because the last Lakers game they played where he was healthy, um, he still looked hurt like the way he was moving he didn't look right and he looked right on Thursday night so that's great to see the Suns it's tough man I mean we're halfway through the season they have had a few performances recently that made me want to just bury them permanently like they had a game against the Clippers last week where it was actually close for most of the game and then they just got buried by like 30 in the fourth quarter And obviously that can happen from night to night, but there have just been a lot of times with this team where it feels like they have no heart, no cohesion, and it's just sort of bad vibes all around. Uh, And having said that, games like Thursday night give me pause, and actually our experience with the Clippers gives me pause because I can't help but think back on how dismissive we were of the Clippers back during the first few weeks of the Harden era And I don't want to make that same mistake again, because obviously that Clippers group was still learning how to play together, developing the chemistry. Harden was playing himself into shape. 
a similar thing could happen with this Suns group if they can manage to stay healthy for a couple months, which would be a minor miracle at this point in the season, given the way they've started things off here. But I need to see a longer stretch of healthy Suns games before I can feel comfortable crossing them off entirely, even though I've wanted to cross them off entirely over the last month or two, just given how bad the vibes are. The KD stuff was so weird because it would be so audacious for him to be unhappy and try to get himself traded again that I find it inconceivable that even Durant could try to go that direction yeah, right no, now. No. So I actually no, wonder no. like what the back channel sources were saying to generate some of that talk because it just seemed a little bit too far-fetched uh, from my perspective. No, but I think it was more about the response in terms of people here. Katie's frustrated and because they've seen him bounce from spot to spot previously, they just like put two and two together. I think it was literally the, the headline should have been Katie doesn't like losing, and then nobody talks about it, right? Because that yeah. was sort of the the original situation. He's unhappy. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. I, I I'm hearing you talk up these Clippers so much. I got great news for you, man. Um, they've actually opened up season tickets for the Intuit Dome. You can sit in that <laughs> famed the wall section. Now, here's the thing: you do have to sign up and get what they call a chuck mark. I don't know exactly what that is, but they've been emailing me about it nonstop for the last three days. So, if you can go ahead and get your chuck mark, I think mm. that will grant you access to be able to buy the tickets in the wall i'm sure plenty of seats still available even though they went on sale this week so just keep that in mind as you're talking up this clippers optimism um well, my tongue's on my cheek a little bit now with the the suns though anyone who i've talked to that's been around them regularly is like don't buy it. it's full school like don't get too excited about this high high because i the hope way those, that's not suns employees is it yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes don't ask the questions you don't want answers to, Andrew. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just, I, I think what I'm trying to hint at here is the ups and downs have been really strong with this group. And when they've hit the lows, they've been painful lows. And like, it's been so ugly and guys have been out of the lineup. Like, it just feels impossible. Like, it feels like, oh my God, you know, crisis moment. And they have done a great job of pulling themselves out of those as well to score some really nice victories recently. You know, Katie had that like big, basically triple double performance right after that report about his frustration came out. Right. Yep. Again, he was trying to send a message to be like, guys, come on. Like, we're not going out like punks here. We're going to do what we can do to kind of get this right. But. Uh, they're just not quite good enough to me to be in the title contender conversation. Um, the defense has actually been slightly better than I expected, in part because Nurkic hasn't missed tons and tons of time. And their backline defenders, I mean, they're just like, you know, duct taping it together behind him. And so if he was missing half the games this year, I think that it would be much worse even than it has been. It, it would look more like Portland's defense last year, but he's been relatively healthy. He's not a great defensive player, but at least he's experienced. He's got size and he can help you in certain situations, right? Now, um, the offense can definitely be better as we saw with Beal on Thursday. Like if he's out there regularly, he doesn't have to play that good. But if they could just like share the rock between the three of those guys instead of putting so much on Durant's shoulders, I think that's mutually beneficial for everybody. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't say the the trust factor is really there with this group. And also looking ahead to the deadline, they don't figure to be major players here because they don't have a ton to give up in potential trades. Like even, you know, a guy like Grayson Allen might have a tradable contract, but they need Grayson Allen. Like, what are oh, you yeah. gonna do if you trade him? Right. So they kind of feel like a team. They are who they are, and they're just going to count on a healthy Beal being able to stabilize them and help them get up in the standings a little bit. I think that's their game plan. I don't know if you love that game plan or not, but that's sort of state of the Suns. I did not hear anybody 
you know, banging their chests or or saying, "Hey, like you know, <laughs> Look we, out, we've been lead. injured for the first two months, but yeah, here we come. You know, we're going to make a strong push." That's definitely not the vibe I've been getting, and and part of that too, I think, is you look at Booker hasn't been a career year for him. You know, he's been dealing with some minor injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, you know, we would see maybe even further blossoming after they kind of retooled the roster around him and, and to put more on his plate uh, with without Chris there. I'm not saying it's been a bad season. It just hasn't been like MVP caliber book, which I think some people were maybe hoping for coming into the year. Yeah, no, that's definitely been part of the story. And he can play better. Beal can just play. That would be an improvement. And and KD has been mostly good for them. He just hasn't had enough help. And it's a skeleton. He's been group. great. Yeah. I don't think he's got enough credit. I, I I saw some people do the whole like, KD's the MVP of the season like a month ago. And I was like, all right, is there anybody who could just like have a take that's a 7 out of 10 instead of going straight to the 15 out of 10? Like we don't have to go too far. <laughs> but KD has had a great season with great health. And that's the other thing is, you know, as you're looking at all these guys kind of dropping like flies around him in the early months of the season, you do wonder if KD goes out for a month, then what does it look like? And that's where it gets really dark. And I think that's maybe the source of a lot of the apprehension that I'm describing is this idea that their margin for error is so thin. And they've already felt it because of the injuries, and they know how reliant they are upon KD. So if anything were to happen to him, then it could kind of get dark pretty quick, and they just don't have backup solutions in those scenarios. So that's why I'm not really a believer in Phoenix. I don't see any way they're balanced enough to get through Denver. Mm-hmm. I think Oklahoma City would beat them in a series, despite everybody picking Phoenix if that series were to happen because of the experience factor. I think OKC would have the togetherness, um, the focus. They'd match up well enough. They, they'd be more disciplined. They're in better depth. I would take Oklahoma City in that series. It gets a little bit more interesting with Minnesota because Minnesota's offense, to me, leaves a lot to be desired. So there is a scenario where I could see Phoenix just kind of like outgunning them. And, you know, maybe their defense comes back to earth a little bit in the playoffs. But, um, you know, if they were to play the Clippers, like this version of the Clippers in the first round, the Clippers would beat them. Your Clippers uh, Mm. would beat them. So you start to look at the Suns, you know, what's the ceiling? It feels a lot like last year's second round. And if they get the wrong first round opponent, I could see them going out in round one. Well, yeah, they're going to have some work to do because right now they're going to be playing a really good team in the first round. And if it's Thunder Suns, that would be really interesting from an odds maker perspective. I would guess that OKC is favored. I mean, if that series happens tomorrow, OKC is definitely favored. But if the Suns are relatively healthy and drama free for the next couple months, then it's sort of a toss up probably when you get to the playoffs. Um, I would love to see those two teams. Uh, If you could buy stock in only the Lakers and Suns, so confine it to Thursday night. Buy stock in only the Lakers or the Suns for the rest of the season. Which one are you choosing? I came up with a couple questions on the heels of that forgettable, random, regular season game. Uh, But who do you have for the rest of the year? Yeah, it's really tough because I do think the Lakers can be uh, a factor at the trade deadline that could potentially really change things dramatically, you know, with the pieces that they could potentially move. And so that would make me think, like, as currently constructed, I don't think either one of these teams is getting out of round two. Do the Lakers have a path to do what they did last year and squeak into the Western Conference Finals if they make some trades? It's possible. It feels like that door is shutting pretty quickly here over the last couple of weeks. I think my answer to this question would just be neither. You know, yeah. I, I really, I really don't. 
Well, but you need to allocate your capital, so you can't say neither. You can only buy stock in two teams. You have to choose. It sounds like you're choosing wait, the wait, Lakers wait, 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 because wait, wait, there's an outside wait, wait. chance that they get lucky on the trade market. I set the rules here with my six-pack oh. of questions. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, that reasoning makes sense to me. I Obviously, neither of these teams is particularly trustworthy halfway through the year. If I had to choose, I would go with the Suns. Because in my heart of hearts, I like Kevin Durant more than LeBron James, and I will always be a Bradley Beal believer. And between these two teams, the tie goes to the team full of bucket getters. I'm not going to side with this soulless Lakers team, but again, that's my heart picking. Uh, My head sides with Team Golliver on this one, where I'm trying to beg off the question entirely and just not invest in either one of these teams. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to dodge the question. It's just I like I don't want to talk myself into either one of them. I don't want to go through the motions of like, oh yeah, Phoenix is really going to do it. Like I, <laughs> I don't buy it. I, I didn't buy it before the season. I don't buy it now. And I do want to give Beal his credit because he played great, and it looked a lot different with him out there uh, and playing to his you know peak performance. And there were a lot of uh, diehards arguing on behalf of the Suns. Like, look, I mean, this is a major loss. Like Beal is a completely you know different player than the types of players. Players that they were filling in that role with, you know, back in October and November when they looked so lifeless and hopeless a lot of the time. And those people were kind of proven right. You know, he, he had his moments. So I get why you would want to make that case, but it just feels like both these teams have a, a really firm ceiling to them, right? And it's possible that neither one of them is going to matter in this year's postseason. And it's very possible that Steph, Katie, LeBron, we're not going to get any three of those guys in round two. That's uh, very possible. And that would be weird for the NBA. It would feel like a massive like paradigm shift if none of those guys even make it out of the first round. Okay, so continuing down my list of questions, does it change your opinion of Grayson Allen now that we know he has some kind of personal relationship with Emma Stone? So are you aware of what I'm referring to with this question? You were at the game, so you may have missed the cameras catching. No, I don't miss anything. I don't miss anything. <laughs> okay, good. Always vigilant. Ben Golliver. What do you think? So she was... She was wearing a, a PHX hat, right? And she was mm-hmm. sitting somewhere near the bench. And then when she was on the way off the court, she gave a little wave to Grayson. And Grayson kind of waved back. Is that it? Well, it looked like she explicitly said goodbye to Grayson Allen. And his son's teammates were shocked by the exchange, which I, I think we can all identify with Grayson Allen's son's teammates in that moment. Um, but yes, it, it looked like they had some kind of pre-existing relationship before Thursday night. So I don't know a lot about pop culture. Is she a big deal? I mean, I know the name, but is she's that like a big deal? Yeah. yeah. I mean, a list or well, so yes, she's a list. She's very famous. Um, and she's also, she's got great taste in the projects she undertakes. And so she's just been in a lot of great stuff. And it's rare to have somebody who's not only famous, but critically acclaimed. Um, and I think that is is the tier we're talking about with Emma Stone. She's definitely one of the defining actresses of this generation. So what you're saying is you're looking at Grayson's career and you're seeing him put up a career-high 13 points, shooting a career-best 46% on threes, and you're saying Emma Stone has great taste in two guards, and this is what's happening? 
Well, no, I mean, for me, honestly, I felt a little guilty after the last podcast we recorded because I am running down the Clippers role players and saying, look, these guys are actually pretty good. And if you put the Clippers role players next to the Suns role role players, you're going to be there for a while before you get to Grayson Allen. So Grayson Allen takes a a stray as I'm complimenting Norm Powell and Avika Zubac and everybody else. But Grayson Allen, this sun season would have been over like six weeks ago, if not for Grayson Allen kind of punching above his weight for the first couple months of the season. So he's been rock solid for them. He's been way better than I ever would have guessed when the Bucks included him in that deal. And then beyond that, I mean, there is a lot of pre-existing baggage with me and Grayson Allen. He's one of the most hateable Duke stars of my lifetime, and I've enjoyed hating him in the NBA as well. So the Emma Stone exchange, I don't know that it fully changes my opinion of Grayson Allen, but it is sort of forcing me to reconsider everything, reconsider my entire belief system. And it's also making me consider a return to full-time journalism so that I can ask him, or NBA journalism, that is. I need more info on what's happening here. And so maybe you could do that. Maybe we could dispatch Rohan. Uh, I need somebody to figure out what the backstory is on that exchange. Well, I'm doing the worst possible journalism, which is reading her Wikipedia page as we speak. Sounds like she had a lot of colic as a child. So I don't know, just a fascinating fact there. (laughs) However, she was also (laughs) the world's highest paid actress in 2017, which is a pretty big deal. But I think the key piece here is she's born in Scottsdale, Arizona. So she's probably Ah. a true blue Suns fan. And maybe at some point along the way, you know, Suns are going out and partying. She's back home for Christmas, seeing the parents, having a good time. (laughs) Oh, hey, ran into each other at a nice club in Scottsdale. And, you know, it's probably a small, uh, small circles, right? That makes sense. It's not a bad theory. It, it certainly explains the Suns fandom. Um, and so that's good enough for me now. It's a start. And hopefully over the next month or two, we can get some definitive answers on how the hell Grayson Allen knows Emma Stone. Um, for now, the reactions of his teammates were hilarious. I hope everybody enjoyed that viral clip. Um, continuing down my list here. Does DeAndre Ayton's season in Portland change the way you view the Sun side of the Yusuf Nurkic deal? Well, we might have to have another disclaimer here because the disclaimer I brought on the last episode was all about the Oregon fans, and it did not work. They were still so pissed at me about the Mm. Pac-12 rant. So I appreciate the people who did stand up for me and admit that there was a lot of truth to what I was saying, but... The Blazers fans, I'm really not totally sure that they want to hear us just destroy DeAndre Aid. I mean, maybe a couple months have passed since we last did it, and so they're in the headspace where like they have completely turned on him, and so they're ready to hear some honest analysis about what DeAndre Aiden is not bringing to the table for the Blazers, but it has been an absolute disaster, made worse by the fact that Nurkic has been completely healthy, and so you're in this headspace of like Nurkic is outplaying Aiden while playing more minutes, while making half as much money, what <laughs> the heck happened here this makes no sense the buzz out of portland on aiden i i can't even describe how dark it is you know and, and he's been dealing Below with some sort bottom, of like, huh wor- yeah worse you know just as bad as it can get and i think uh, the big source of frustration is the idea that this is obviously a team that's trying to build habits that is trying to establish an identity in the first year after damian lillard 
And their main guy has not been out there since before Christmas. And, you know, it's some sort of a knee deal. They're not totally sure exactly what it is, but it feels like it's been a long time since he's been out these last five games. Uh, they've lost by 29, sorry, the last five losses by 21, 29, 36, 28, and 62 points, <laughs> right? So you know, he was brought in to kind of be this backline defensive anchor. They put all their chips on him. They're paying him this, like, you know, former number one pick, max extension salary, and he's just not on the court. And, and put it on top of that, he's averaging 13 points and 11 rebounds. Like, that's just kind of going through your. Uh, your motions if you're DeAndre Aiden. It's jogging from free throw line to free throw line to shoot those mid-range jumpers. Mm. It's not showing any development as a playmaker. Once again, he's got more turnovers and assists uh, this season. As I told you, that will be the Aiden metric for the rest of time. If you have a negative assist to turnover ratio every year for your career, uh, you're officially in the DeAndre Aiden category. So, I think there should be a lot of buyer's remorse from Portland's side on the Aiden aspect of that trade. But I also thought that at the time. So maybe they're just sort of discovering it slowly and, and unfortunately. But he's not under contract for five years. They're still in a transition. I think Portland's bigger problem is that it's going to be time for a new coaching voice. All right, and that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and get two episodes every week from me, Andrew Sharp, and Ben Golliver, you can go to greatestofalltalk.com and subscribe to the show.